September the 12th will be 42 years that a 24-year-old man and a 19-year-old wife drove into a city where there was nobody who was apostolic, never heard of apostolic. After 42 years, I've never found anybody that could spell the word Pentecostal the first time without help. I'd been preaching officially 15 months. Preaching officially 15 months. I had evangelized for eight months after the Lord miraculously got me out of my service commitment through a paralyzed shoulder blade. I'd never pastored. Raised in Pentecost and uh, went to church all across the country. And most of what I've learned, I learned was how not to do it. From the time I received the Holy Ghost, I was never a part of a church. There was a growing church, not one time. Until after I was a part of growth. Uh, after I started preaching in a little church outside of the Naval Air Station in Pensacola. Um, in 42 years, we've started out of our church 26 home missions works. We have, I was home missions director from, in Maryland from 78 through 84, we started 45 home missions works in six years. Over 30 of those survived at least five years. I was Northeast Regional Home Missions Director, and I've been told that during that time over 100 men came to the Northeast. I'm not saying these things so you know about me. I'm saying these things for this purpose. I've had a firsthand opportunity to see why some men succeed and why some men fail. Two things that I am absolutely confident that a home missions pastor, church planner is the new word, must be able to do or they need to go find something else to do. First and foremost, you must be able to be a personal soul winner. If you cannot, if you do not have confidence in your ability to win souls personally, you will never have revival. You cannot impart something that you cannot do. The second thing you have to be able to do is you have to have absolute confidence that you can pray even the hard cases through to the Holy Ghost yourself. You, you cannot build a church from a pulpit. 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 And one more time, you cannot build a church from a pulpit. And if you don't know how to build a church out of the pulpit, you need to go find some group to pastor that will be satisfied with good sermons and somebody that visits the hospital and does a little bit of counseling 
and just changes diapers and burps backs and and stuff like that because you're never going to build a church. In my involvement in this meeting, especially in the many years that the focus has been on missionaries, I have always come to this meeting not with nice sermons or thoughts to impress people with, but with stuff that God gave me answers for me because I needed the answers for me. And I have shared those things. Uh, Last year I talked about spiritual warfare. I've talked about church structure. I've talked about grace and peace. And I've talked about shame. And I've talked about a lot of things that were all personal answers for me. Me. And uh, this is going to be that. This is going to be that. When I first get started with my subject, if you turn me off, you're going to miss a major point here. Okay? Um, This helped me. In fact, this, looking back on my life, I realized that what I'm about to talk to you today could be very close to being the one of the single most significant things in my life and ministry as far as being used of God and seeing things happen. I am a home missionary. I didn't say I was a home missionary. I was with a man the other day who is currently the district superintendent of a district, but he had been a foreign missionary, and he said, you know, once a foreign missionary, always a foreign missionary. I said, that's true with home missions. Once you're a home missionary, you're always a home missionary. I see myself as a home missionary. Of course, uh, home missionary, foreign missionary, these are just terms that structure uses because we, we have too much pride and too much tendency toward jealousy to call things what they are. Um, if you are truly a missionary, biblically you have an apostolic gifting now, there's a difference between the office of an apostle and having an apostolic gifting. And you will never build a church from scratch without an apostolic gifting. And that's not, again, that's not being one of the 12 or whatever. You just, it's, there's, a, there's a level of authority in there. There's also a level of faith. There are some men who have giftings to take something that is and move it to different levels, greater levels. There are other men that they get bored with that, or they they don't know what to do with that. But you send them someplace where there's nothing, and they can dig out something. That's a gifting. That's not a personality. It's not a personality. It's not resources. You take somebody without that gifting, you give him a team of people to work with, you give him unlimited resources, you give him everything he could possibly want, he won't get a thing done. You you take somebody with an apostolic gifting that's gone someplace in the will of God, they may not have any resources, they may not have any help, and you're going to see something happen. Praise God. So, if uh, you will permit me today, I'm going to read you a text. And if you assume where I'm going from the text, you're going to be wrong. 
<laughs> Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. Now, those of you that know me, you know I don't usually hold with notes very well. Well, my notes today is a list of scriptures. That's, if I have notes, it's usually that. I have a few things written down that the Lord specifically spoke to me on this subject. But uh, for the most part, it's just a list of scriptures so that I can read them quickly. Matthew sixteen thirteen. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. God bless you. You may be seated. This is uh, both theologically and historically a very significant passage of Scripture. Because it is the first biblical mention of the word church. Note, please, that there's a future tense verb here. The church did not come into existence until Acts chapter 2. The word church is only used twice in all of the Gospels, and both times it's in Matthew chapter 16 and 18, both times with a future tense verb. Okay? So, this is a significant verse. It's so significant, these, this context. But here's the point. And here is the point. We think the only significant revelation in this verse, as far as who someone is, is who Jesus is. And it is significant. Knowing who Jesus is, is extremely significant. It is the foundational knowledge of salvation. I don't care if a person gets baptized in Jesus' name and speaks in tongues. If they don't have a revelation of the oneness of God, how can a God save them when they don't know who He is? Because the greatest commandment is in Mark chapter 12, verses 29, 28, 29, 30, is something to hear and know before you do anything. That's the greatest commandment. So how can a person go to heaven who's not obeying the greatest commandment? I don't care if they've been baptized in Jesus' name. I don't care if they talk in tongues all day long. How can you be saved by God? You don't know who it is, who He is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the. You can't. How do you love somebody you don't know? Isn't that part of love anyway? Is getting to know the person you love. You can't love a person more than you know them. The better you know somebody, the more you know their strengths and weaknesses, the better able you are to love them. Because when you can love somebody like they are, now you're really choosing to love. 
You can't love somebody that's perfect. That's not hard at all. You really love somebody that's not perfect. Well, of course, God's perfect. But you've got to know who He is. But that's not the revelation here. That's only part of it. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. What is that rock? Oh, it's the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. I don't think that's all of it. I think there are two parts of that revelation that's the rock upon which the church is built. First is the revelation of who God is. The second is the revelation of who you are. Who are you? And I say unto you again, thou art Peter. Why did he say that like that? Well, first of all, if you go to Mark chapter three, uh, 3 or 4, I think it is, you'll find that the Bible says that Jesus surnamed Simon Peter. Jesus gave the name Peter to Simon. Thou art Peter. He wanted Peter to know how he saw him. How does Jesus see you? Who are you? So you know who Jesus is. Whoopee, big deal. That may get you saved. It's not going to get anybody saved through you. I'm going to say that again. Knowing who Jesus is may get you saved. But it's not going to get anybody saved through you. you got to know who you are. Now we know that Peter, James, and John, Paul, and all these guys were different. That's right. Because God has a specific plan and purpose for every single one of us. Every single one of us, God has designed us very uniquely for a specific place, for a specific part in His purpose and His kingdom. Do I know what that place is? Do I know who I am in that place? Why is this important? Because I will not allow God to do through me that's what, that which I cannot see myself to be. I, I know right now you're going, huh? Hang on. Because by the time I'm through this morning, hopefully, you're going to see that if you don't know who you are in God, that just became your number one priority. Who are you? Who are you? Not who are you in relation to others, but who are you in God? Who are you? Now, I spent the first 50 years of my life trying to figure out who I was. That's not really true. I, the Lord was telling me things, and others were telling me things, and I didn't want to hear that because I didn't want all that. But something happened when I turned 50. I don't even know why. All of a sudden, I realized the most important thing was to make peace with who I wasn't. 
to make peace with what I wasn't. And in one very real sense, making peace with who you aren't is as important as making peace with who you are. I, I, my dad was not a preacher. In fact, he wasn't saved till he got saved in our church in, in December of 79. Uh, I didn't know anybody. I had nobody to open any doors for me, and yet God miraculously uh, filled up this evangelist. I've never missed a weekend preaching for eight months. Knowing nobody. I don't even... Well, I do know how God did it, but it wasn't natural. It was supernatural. I, you know, I didn't have any... Anything, anybody working for me, going for me. Uh, but God, that's all. Uh, there were a lot of people that really, really, really thought that the district was foolish, even allowing me to come to start a church. Again, I told you, I'd only been officially preaching 15 months. Preaching officially 15 months. Never had pastored. 24 years old. 19-year-old wife. And they approved us to go to Annapolis, Maryland, and start a church. Now, the Lord had to be in that. Because as a district superintendent today, I could tell you right now, without God speaking, our board would never approve a guy to do that. I'm telling you right, it's true. I, I would, I would, I'd vote against him unless God said, yes, I would. Yeah. Brother Libby had been saved out of our church two years and two months. Saved two years and two months when he went to Rockville. But God said. I said, God said. Who are you? I've said this for years. The, Lord, the devil does not care if you believe God can do anything as long as you never believe that God can do anything through you. And you will never believe that God can do anything through you till you know who you are. You'll never believe it. You'll never allow it. I don't even know when I when I recognize this gifting, but I know the first prayer I ever prayed with the Kinsey in Annapolis, Maryland. We had a little one bedroom apartment and uh, a two bedroom apartment, and we we bought a whole house full of furniture for five hundred dollars. That ought to tell you something right there. Literally, bed, bed uh, living room, dining room, bedroom for five hundred bucks. That's that's all we had. All we could afford, and that was barred from my my father-in-law. Okay, but I I remember in uh, December of uh, of seventy, I was in that little bedroom, and I got down by this little rocking chair that I prayed in, and I knelt, and this is what I prayed. I didn't pray for revival, didn't pray for harvest, didn't pray for finances. I prayed that God would give me preachers to train. For the kingdom. I don't even know why I prayed that. But that's what I wanted. And I recognized over a few years. That if I had any gifting. At all. 
It was a gifting to be able to recognize the hand of God on a person's life. And so many times, just this past year, just, just a couple of months ago at our senior youth camp, there was a young man there. I, he said he'd been in district a while. I hadn't seen him. I don't know how you could miss him. He was a big old guy. He was a, he's a, de- a police detective in, in uh, Prince George's County right outside of D.C. Awesome guy. And, and the whole time I'm in this, this youth camp, and I was speaking in the mornings to the young people and praying in the altar. I love to go. I, senior youth camp is one of my favorite places. Because I go and, and I, I, I wait for the, all their stuff to get done so I can minister in the altar to those kids. I, I endure the two hours of singing and the, and the entertaining preaching just so I can pray for young people in the altar. But this particular night, I, I, the Lord's, I'm feeling this thing and feeling this thing for this guy. And, and he's there as one of the counselors and, and, and they got a little baby. And so he went out to the foyer to get some water for a bottle. And I followed him. And when I, we got the, when he, when he got through getting the water out of the, out of the fountain, he turned around. And I looked up at him because he's about six foot four, big old guy. And I put my finger on his chest. And I said, the devil is a liar. He said, what do you mean? I said, you feel things down inside. And you've had visions of things. And the devil's telling you that that's your ego. And that you're just full of pride. And the Lord sent me here to tell you that that's his hand on your life. And that's not your ego. That's God trying to show you what he is and who he is in your life. And he's trying to get you to trust what you're feeling. And then I said to him, and when you get home, you tell your pastor exactly what I just said. And if he disagrees with any of it, you listen to your pastor. I don't believe in non-judged prophecy. I don't believe in non-judged prophecy. Who are you? Who are you? How many great men of God do we look at that God used and we don't even realize that before God could use them in almost every one of their situations God had to first deal with who they were not sinner and all that but who God saw them to be God had to get them to see who he saw them to be before they'd ever let him do through them what he planned to do He had to change Abram's name to Abraham. He had to change Jacob, supplanter, to Israel, prince with God. He had to give Joseph a dream. The eleventh son. The eleventh son. He had to give him a dream of his father and his mother and his brothers bowing down to him. And the dream is what fulfilled the dream. Because his brothers got jealous of the dream and had him sold into slavery thinking that was it. They were done with him. And the very fact he told the dream and their jealousy of his dream fulfilled the dream. Because you see, that's one thing. Having a word from God is one thing, but telling it's completely different. Because nobody's going to doubt, dance and shout over the fact that God has put something important on you. They're just not going to do it. 
So if you think you're going to tell people what God's told you, He's going to do through you and they're going to be happy for you, they're not. That's why you got to tell it. They're not, even your best friend's not going to be happy for you. Especially the guy that knows who Jesus is and doesn't have a clue who he is. Because if you know who you are in God, there is an air of confidence about you that people automatically think is pride. But it has nothing to do with confidence in yourself. It's confidence in God. It's not confidence in you. It's confidence in God. I didn't make me this. Whatever this is, I didn't make me this. I couldn't have pulled this off, whatever this is. But if I deny this, whatever this is, I deny God. Oh my God. Some of you are sitting frustrated. You don't know why stuff's not happening at home. You don't know what, why you're beating your head continually against the wall. I'll tell you why. You hear me, what I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost right now. There are people sitting here right now that have had dreams and visions and have heard the word of, voice of God and you've felt things and you've felt things, but you've dismissed them because it, not me. That can't be me. God can't be choosing me to do that. Hear me right now in Jesus' name. The Holy Ghost wants to do a work in this place today. I sat here in this chair right last night. Do you realize that both preachers actually quoted my title last night? Do you know that both preachers actually were preaching almost exactly this message to you? And I'm sitting there saying, okay, okay, God, I got the message. I I don't know that I needed this kind of confirmation. But I'm taking this kind of confirmation. So I'm standing here. If you don't move a muscle, if you don't say a word, I could care less. I have a word from God for you. You want to go home different? You want to go home changed? Stop resisting what God's putting in your spirit. Stop resisting and denying what God is saying to you. Stop denying the dream. Stop denying the vision. Stop denying it. If you can't confess it to anybody else, at least start confessing it to your wife. That's the toughest critic you're going to have right there. Yeah. And don't expect her to go, wow, that's awesome. I'm so happy. Because if she's got half a brain, she's going to realize if you're confessing that and that's really God, it's going to put her under a lot of stress. I don't know what this is and I don't know why it is God's all the time requiring me to say stuff that people don't want to hear. But I know one thing, it's hard to get her to travel with me. I'm sorry. I don't know how to do it any other way. If he tells me, I got to say it. 
A prophet that only ever prophesies good is not a prophet at all. <coughs> a prophet that only ever prophesies positive stuff, he's a false prophet. I didn't just say that to say that either. There are ears that need to be hearing what I just said. Ooh, hallelujah, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Moses, we heard about Moses last night. I don't know how God does it, but he does it different for each one of us. He gave Moses a stick. He gave Abraham a new name. He gave gave Jacob a new name after a wrestling match. He gave Joseph a dream. He gave Moses a stick. He gave Gideon a word from the enemy because he wouldn't believe the word from God. God was so intent for Gideon to believe that he was a mighty man of valor when he wouldn't believe the word from God, wouldn't believe the first fleece, wouldn't believe the second fleece. He sent him down so that the enemy could finally confess who he was. He finally believed the enemy. You know why? Because we're so used to listening and believing the enemy. We're so attuned to believing what the enemy says about us that somehow the only way God can get us to believe what he's wanting to do to us is have the enemy say it. David. His, his was oil pouring down his head. There's no indication Samuel st- stood there and gave him this whole spiel and speech and direction and instruction. He just poured that bottle of oil on his head and walked away. Gideon, uh, Samuel wasn't even happy about it. Saul was his boy. You understand that? Saul was Samuel's boy. He wasn't happy. He mourned all night when God rejected Saul. He didn't do anything to help David out. He just poured that oil on his head. But I guarantee you the smell of that oil stayed with David the rest of his life. In his tough times, running, hiding, in his difficult times, in his trials, he could still remember the smell of that oil. Hear me right now. Somebody needs to hear this word. When you have a promise from God, almost always things are going to get worse before they get better. And when circumstances look absolutely impossible for the word from God to come to pass, you can stand firm on the word. Because God knew all about that before He gave the Word. And if you can just hang on to that Word, it will turn around. It will come to pass. Someone said that faith is that period of time between when God speaks and when it happens. For Abraham, that was over 25 years. 
It was over 25. No wonder he's called the father of all believers. It was over 25 years from when God said and when it happened. For Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that period of time didn't stop with death. They died in faith not having received it. But died believing it, even though it happened, didn't happen in their lifetime. November, 1998. I was in a meeting in, uh, that we had in our church called Manifest. And a prophet of God said to me, Every promise God has made you concerning Antioch, our church, you will live to see it come to pass. But it's not going to happen through you. How would you like that? Talk about bitter and sweet. Okay, I'm not going to die without it coming to pass. But I'm not going to be the guy in the pulpit. What's up with that? There wouldn't have been a pulpit if I hadn't said, Yes, Lord. And I'm not going to be the guy in the pulpit when it happens. I may look old to you, but I'm not old. I'm not finished. I feel like I'm just getting started. I'm not ready to quit. But it was the will of God. It was the will of God for somebody else to be in the pulpit. Did I do something wrong? No. He just had other stuff he wanted me to do. He is in charge after all. Who are you? Peter knew who he was. Paul, I mean, I've said this before. Some of you heard me say it or asked the question. How how many books were written by the apostle Saul? He was called Saul, an apostle, when he was Saul. How many books of the Bible were written by the apostle Saul? None. None. No, not one of those books was ever written till Saul became Paul. He was used of God as Saul. But the word Paul means small or little. He didn't really get become everything God wanted to be till his circumstances and his life and everything he went through brought him to the end of himself. When, and God commemorating him come to the, coming to the end of himself by changing his name from small to, to from, from Saul to Paul. And all the things we really associate with Paul happened after that. But the bottom line is, there was a lot of stuff God did through Saul. It's not that God hasn't used you and can't use you at all without knowing who you are. Without you knowing who you are in God. But you're never going to fulfill your destiny in God till you know who you are. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. There are two views of me or two sources of views of me. One is the outside view, which is of the flesh. The other is the inside view, which is of the spirit. Whichever view is the dominant view in my life will have the greatest influence of my, on my actions. Too often, 
the events of our lives define us to ourselves. Most of the time, those events were in the control of someone else. Some of you have heard the story. I was molested when I was five. I lived 33 years with the shame of that, never having spoken of that to any living human being. But not even understanding that I was affected by my feelings about myself for that happening to me. It only happened once. But it affected my feelings about myself for 33 years until a man of God. The Lord spoke to a man of God and revealed to me what, what was wrong with me and ministered to me. And, 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 you, and, and I've said a lot of different things over the years about what happened when I was prayed for. But I realized in the context of this message, what God did for me in that deliverance was he changed my view of me. Because I saw myself as marred, broken, worthless, dirty, impossible to be fixed. And no matter how hard I tried, and to some people, I had success. But inside me, I hated myself most of the time. And I had, I, I, I was 30, I was 38 years old. This was 1984. 38 years old. I'd been a, I'd been a pastor 14 years. I was elected presbyter at 30 because my qualification was I was 30. It was a home issues district. I mean, that's really awesome, man. I, I'm, I was, my qualification to become a presbyter was, I was the only guy in the section that was over 30 that wasn't either the superintendent or secretary. I got it on a yes or no ballot. I was home missions director. From the outside, to some people, I looked like a success. But I hated me. Now, sometimes it wasn't as bad as others. But the events of my life affected who I saw me to be. And it was a constant battle with God trying to get me to do stuff that I felt so unqualified to do. So unworthy to do. Until I finally realized when you got healed, the only qualification I have for standing here holding this microphone Today is the blood of Jesus. I have no other qualification. I have no other right to stand here but the blood of Jesus. In me, there that is in my flesh, there dwelleth no good thing, period, in this discussion. I'm not standing here because I'm good or who I, who you think I am or what somebody else thinks I am. I'm standing here because of the blood of Jesus in the story. Who are you? Who are you? Have the events of your life, the circumstances of your life, created a view of you within you that didn't come from God? Because who you see yourself to be is the number one determining factor of how much God can use you, how far you can go. Because here is the principle of the gospel. Freely have received. Freely give. And if I see myself as unworthy, as unimportant to God, as having no place in God, I will not receive freely 
And I may give very freely what I do have, but I will never receive, not earn, not work for, but receive as a gift, an impartation. I will never receive any more than I feel like I'm worthy in God to have. So, if I have very little to give, it's not that God sees me as being so little. That's all I've let Him give me. Hey, no offense, man, but four of the key apostles were fishermen. And if you're into fishing, fine, but is there any commercial fishermen in the house? I doubt it. They were commercial fishermen. And, and, and they were eking out a living. You, you didn't become a millionaire, so to speak, fishing the Sea of Galilee. You didn't do that. They weren't preachers. They weren't priests. They weren't prophets. They weren't rich people. They weren't even educated people. And the number one thing the Lord had to do in their lives was get the fishermen out of them so he could put the apostle in them. Hello. He had to get the rock drummer out of you. To make the evangelist and the apostle of God in you. The memory of what you used to be may be there. But that's not who you are anymore. There had to be a point. You stopped being that, not just in action, but in your heart or in your opinion of yourself. You had to become who you are in God before He could manifest who you are. I believe what Brother Tony said last night. I am the most powerful man in my city. I don't have to announce to them who I am. I don't have to go around with some cocky attitude or whatever. If it uh, is supposed to be raining in the city, and there's a legitimate kingdom reason for it not to rain, it's not going to rain. i got years of track record of that now. Years. I got tired of missing weekends because of snow. And every fall when the Lord gives me liberty, I just bind it from snowing on any, at any time that would hinder any of the services. And we'll go the whole winter without missing a service. If he doesn't give me the word to do that, I don't do it. Because it's not me. I wish he'd give me a word to pray about this presidential race. (laughs) I'm sorry to tell you he hasn't. Politics is one thing and prophecy is another. Okay? And the end time prophecy is never going to come to pass with a strong United States. I 
And we all want everybody else to sacrifice so we can balance the budget. Just as long as it doesn't affect us. And so therefore, politicians are going to continue to spend us into debt until we get bankrupt. Right? I got bad news for you. It really doesn't matter which party's in office. They've all been spending us into debt. So if you think it makes a difference, then you sweat that. I gave that to God, and I don't even think about it. I really don't. I may go vote, may not. Because I believe the Lord's in control. Hmm. Praise God. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Who are you? Who are you? The events, mostly controlled by humans, authored by the adversary, are intended to prevent you from becoming who you're supposed to be. If you, the Lord always allows the devil to have enough inkling of what he plans to do in an individual's life so the adversary can plan ways to keep that from happening not realizing that the very things the adversary does to prevent it from happening become the tools that God uses to hammer us into what he wants us to be. Thirty-three years, I never spoke to a living, breathing human being about me being molested. But since God delivered me and healed me, I've told it to thousands. Why? Because that very thing has helped make me who I am. It's, it's given me an ability to have a compassion that I wouldn't have had before. It's given me the ability to understand how people could hurt because I knew how I was hurting. It gave me an ability to look past what you saw and what a person said to understanding what was going on inside them that really was the reason for people acting like they did. Or not acting. See, shame, and this is what it really is. When you, when you have a negative self-image of you, of you that's created by the events and circumstances of your life, thing you did, thing you didn't do, things that others did to you and pe- things that pe- people should have done to you they didn't do, all those kind of things. Shame is the number one cause of all spiritual inconsistency. People don't backslide because of sin. Sin's only the result of the backsliding. They backslide because of their shame. The majority of people who backslide don't backslide because they quit believing in God. They backslide because they quit believing in themselves. The majority of people that backslide don't backslide because they quit believing in God. They they, They backslide because they quit believing in themselves. Brother Pugh said to us home missionaries all those years ago, he said, you really want to build a church? Buy a cemetery plot in your city. Now, I do believe there are church planters and that God uses 
men, like I said, with an apostolic gifting to get something going. And they get it to a certain place and God releases them and brings them, brings somebody else in that has different giftings to take another place. I, 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 I fully understand that. But I also believe that there are places that a man's called to. And he's going to spend his life there. Because there's many seasons of a church. And when God has called you to a place, He's also equipped you to take that church through every season. So they can go and go and go and go. I got a question. Are you a carpenter? Or a son of God. Matthew 4, verses, starting with verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of, the, of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up. Lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again, the devil taking him up into exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kings of the world and the glory of them, saith unto them, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. The kingdoms are without the cross. I'm gonna give you, I'll give you the same kingdoms that, that God will give you, but I'll give it to you without the cross. Then Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. What was the temptation? To eat bread? To spare his, himself from bodily harm? To escape the cross? Or was the whole temptation to find out what kind of faith Jesus had in who he was? I've got a question. If the devil knew that the number one area of vulnerability of the man Christ Jesus was his faith in who he was in God, are you any different than that? Your number one area of vulnerability, the place that you're most easily attacked by the adversary, to undermine, Whatever it is God wants to do through you is to attack in the area of vulnerability of how much faith you have in who you are in God. Praise God. Thank you, sister. Thank you very much. Amen. Are you a carpenter or a son of God? 
You a carpenter or a son of God? If you're a son of God, this is what will happen. John 14, 12 through 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do we believe that? We say we believe it. Mentally, we may accept it because it's in the Bible. But it is, is it working knowledge and confidence in here for you? I, I, I'm not here finding fault, trying to help you. Okay? Because it's not a question. I'm not standing here saying you're nobody. I'm saying you're somebody. And if you don't have a clear, confident understanding of who you are, you need to find out who you are. And I'm not just talking about the men. I believe every single human being is created by God with a specific plan and purpose by Him, in Him, for His kingdom. I've said this before, but the primary Greek word translated in the New Testament for the, by the word sin is H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. It means to miss the mark. Sinners can't sin. you got to be trying to hit something to miss it. They're going to hell because they're disobedient. They're unbelievers. They're in rebellion. They're liars. They're thieves. But Christians who don't make it are going because they miss the mark. And the root word for that Greek word translated sin is portion, share, or place. So it is sin to miss my place. A church comes open, 20 guys put their names in. You've got to be kidding me. 19 at least, if not all 20, are completely out of the will of God. How humiliating it is to tell everybody that you don't have a clue about what the will of God is and isn't. And if you're in that situation or you were in that situation, I have no knowledge of that and I'm not picking on you. Just put on the shoe because it fits. That's not how God works. That's not how He operates. And if you get a church based on getting elected in that kind of situation, you deserve everything you get, baby. Because you're probably in the wrong place. Enjoy yourself because it's going to be a painful ride. Let me tell you something. (laughs) And you know what I'm talking about. I'd rather go someplace where there's nobody and deal with problems I've caused than deal with anybody's inherited problems. Do do I believe that God calls men to churches when there's a vacancy? Yes, I do. But I don't believe He calls 20 of them and then gives people the chance to select. That's how religion operates. That's not how the apostolic church operates. 
Who are you? Who are you? Do you know who you are? You have faith that you're a son of God. Ephesians 3, 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. It's not what I lack. It's what if, it's, if I don't have the connection made so that it can flow. And knowing who I am in God, being in the will of God, being in the place I'm supposed to be, and knowing that and have confidence in that, that makes the connection so that all that can flow through me and God can work. I believe in authority. I believe in authority. I'm not the senior pastor. But I do have the authority to hire and fire. I have two sons that are working in our church full time. And I said to both of them just recently, I love you as my sons enough to give my life for you, but I'm not giving this church for you. You mark that down in the book right now. I didn't spend my whole life in this town, gutting this thing out, blood, sweat, and tears, to turn it over to you, and, 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 and you guys mess it up someday. So just understand this. I may be your dad, but when it comes to this church, I'm the bishop. And if you don't think I'll help you pack your, your moving van, you don't know me in all these years. Because the doctrine this church was founded on, it's going to die on. (laughs) The doctrine this church was founded on, it's going to be believing when the rapture takes place. I believe in authority. I believe in authority. But let me tell you something I don't believe authority has the right to do. I do not believe, and I don't believe you can find it anywhere in this book, where authority has the right to tell a man the will of God for his life. And a man that presumes to tell somebody else the will of God for their lives is, is now usurping authority he wasn't given. And nobody has authority. It's all delegated. All authority, Jesus said, all power, the Greek word, word there is exousia, it's authority. All authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. All authority belongs to Jesus. If I have any authority, it's His. It's only delegated, and I don't have a right to use it outside the realm of what, of how He designs for it to be used. If you don't have absolute confidence that you're in your city in the will of God, I feel so sorry for you. I can't remember the number of times people have asked me, how have you done this? How's this happened? We just stayed through the rough times. We didn't let circumstances define the will of God to us. We didn't let circumstances Tell us the will of God. Because the will of God is the same thing as a word from God. The will of God is the same thing as a promise from God. 
You go here. That's my will. This is where I want you. It's implied you're there in my will and whatever happens I'm in control of and I want you to be faithful to me through all of that both when I'm taken and when I'm given. Why me? Because I'm Him. I'm Him, whoever Him is in God. That's why me. That's why the bad happens. That's why the good happens. Because I am who He made me to be. Whatever that is. The only person that's really disappointed when I sin is me. God's not disappointed. Ooh, buddy. That's like saying that if my nine-month-old grandson can't stay. He's not nine months yet, but he will be. (laughs) He's only three and a half months. He's here in the house. You all are privileged people. Anyway, when he gets big enough, he thinks he can walk and he falls. I'm not going to be all disappointed. Oh, we hadn't seen him for three weeks. The first day we've got him, he, he leaves, he does a man-sized job in his drawers. First day, first day. He was all male, buddy. There was no messing around with that. That was a mess that wasn't messed around. He did, he did a number on that. That was something else, right? Hey, I didn't go, oh God, what's wrong with this baby? Listen to what he's, he stinks so bad. Oh, I, I am mature enough, I hope, to understand. That this baby is not perfect and he's going to cry and he's going to mess his pants. You think your father doesn't understand sometimes you're going to mess your britches? Now, I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to help you. Some, for some of you, this isn't about living for God and, and having a relationship with God. For some of you, this is a performance issue. You, you'd give yourself a report card every day. You can't be used of God for trying to figure out how you did today on the score sheet of heaven. Religion keeps score. Jesus doesn't. He said, if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He doesn't keep score. He doesn't even remember your score. He said, I will remember your sin no more. I will remember your sin no more. The adversary is the one that's got you keeping score. Not too long ago, this came to me and I, what a thought. Jesus, the the Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The Lord is not responsible for me sinning. But he created me in a way that the likelihood was extremely high, like about 
And so before he ever created man, he, he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He made the way to take care of your mistakes before he ever made you. And if all you want to do is define yourself by your mistakes and what your score is today, you're never going to be used of God. We Pentecostals are more Catholic than we are apostolic. We're better at self-flagellation than the Catholics are. We won't, we won't repent and let Jesus forgive us of something until after we have punished ourselves. We've got to beat ourselves. We've got to whip ourselves. We've got to punish ourselves. <laughs> Juno, uh, my son David became senior pastor on the 18th of December 2005. That was two months exactly before I turned 60. I wasn't old. And I wasn't ready to quit. But God said, it's time. In June of 09, he says to me, when are you going to trust your son and me with this church? I said, I already have. I'm not even in the pulpit. He said, no, you're not. You're hanging around here just to make sure nothing goes wrong. Did I tell you to hang around here? Well, no. Well, it's because you're not trusting me. I said, okay. It was like this email was sent by God. I never told anybody what I prayed. All of a sudden, I get from September of 09 to March of 11, I made nine separate trips just to Asia. Well, I went in that first trip in September, and the Lord did some stuff. And I went back in October, and the Lord did some more stuff. And before I could get home at the end of October, I had a trip scheduled for January, March, and June. And I wasn't happy. I like my bed. I like being home. I don't like airplanes. I don't like airport airports. The only people who think traveling is glamorous are those that don't do it. That's absolutely 100% the truth. So I came home from that trip, that second trip, and I'm saying, no, 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 no. This isn't going to work. No. Uh-uh. I'm telling the Lord this. This isn't going to work. They have expectations of me that I don't have of me. And apparently you have those expectations of me, but I don't have them of me, and I don't want to do this. He didn't say a word. He didn't argue with me. He didn't respond. So, excuse me for being transparent. So I decided, okay, I know how to fix this. I'll just disqualify myself. So I went about two or three weeks and refused to pray. <laughs> Wouldn't pray. Wouldn't study. Wouldn't do nothing. I wasn't going to do anything. I'm trying to prove to him that I'm not qualified to go. So he'll say, you can't, you don't, oh, you can't go. I'm going, thanks. 
Now, if you'll forgive me for these last several weeks, we'll be all right. Yeah. And I said to him, okay, now you see how unqualified I am? He said, you're still going. And I said to him, if I'm the best you've got to go do this, you're hurting really bad. That's truth for God. I told him exactly that. And you know what he said to me? He said, all this stuff you're struggling with, some of it's not struggling, you're doing deliberately. He said, you've been waiting for me to take all that away. He said, I'm never taking that away. You're going to struggle with all that stuff the rest of your life. I said, why? He said, because when I do the stuff through you that I'm going to do, you're never going to be tempted to take the credit for it because me and you know the truth. I'm trying to make a point here. And I know a few of you have heard me tell this. I don't ever worry about repeating myself. Because all I do is hear and repeat anyway. And if he wants me to say something again, it's not my problem. <coughs> okay? Because I could care less if you're impressed. I want you to hear what God has to say. I, I, I've always had a struggle with, 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 you know, people compliment me. And my opinion was... If that's what you think of me, you just proven how unspiritual you are. Because if you were spiritual, you would you would know. So you just got marked off my list. You're not very spiritual. <laughs> Your discernment's not very good. <clears throat> so, you know, birthdays were the horrible time because you you got to sit there and they want to say all this stuff and. Uh, well, my 60th birthday was coming up, and I, I am just dying. I know they got, they've got to make a big deal out of me turning 60. So, and I'm telling the Lord this. I, I'm dreading this. They got people coming in or whatever, you know, and I'm, I'm going to have to endure this night where they sit there and say all this stuff that in here I don't believe is true. Right? So finally, the Lord had all he could take. He said, you don't get it, do you? I'm trying to help somebody here. He said, you don't get it, do you? I said, obviously not. I don't get it. He said, they've never been talking about you. And sitting at your birthday, they won't be talking about you then. You just don't get how well I've hidden you in me. They're not missing it. What they're saying is what they've seen. And they don't understand what they've seen is me. But you and I know the truth. So rather than hanging your head thinking these people don't have a clue what they're talking about, why don't you just give me praise that I'm so good at hiding you? Ye are dead. Dead how? Well, that stuff I got on inside's not dead. Woohoo! It's not dead. Uh uh-uh. uh. 
No, 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 no. I was talking to a, <laughs> a bunch of, we had, we had a bunch of summer interns come in from different Bible colleges in our district. We sponsored them, and, and I was talking to the group of the young men. We had girls and guys, and I was talking to them about the most important decision of their life was not where they're going to minister, but who they're going to marry. And, 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 and they looked at me like, oh, man, you don't know what you're talking about. And I looked at those guys and said, hey, guys, I may be old, but I'm not dead. I'm not dead. So what does he make? You're dead in your life. You're hid with Christ and God. What's dead is my efforts to be good within myself to win his approval. I accept who he's made me to be in him. I accept his love. I let that all operate. And I let him hide all this other stuff and keep that between me and him. And if you don't learn to do that, you'll never let God use you. Because if you stand in the pulpit trying to be used to God and you're keeping score on how you're doing today and how much you've prayed or not prayed and whether you're worthy or unworthy to be used today, you ain't never going to be used to God like He wants to use you. I've said it already. I'll say it to you again. I'm only standing here because of the blood. Because you don't know who Chester Wright is. I don't even know the guy you see. The closest I've ever come to seeing him is a picture or a mirror. I don't know that guy. I know this guy in here. I don't know what this guy looks like. I walked in last night and one of your ushers, he's a great guy. He didn't mean anything about it. But I had on this, the pants to go with this coat. He said, well, you can't say silver and gold have I none. I walked up over here and Brother Kleinitz and Brother David Smith were standing over here. I told, I was laughing. I said, what said? Brother, Brother Smith said, you need to wear a gold shirt and gold tie with that so you can say, it's a new day. <laughs> I got silver and gold. I do feel backslidden today because I got on a white shirt. Because there's a difference between style and standards. Okay, and as long as my shirt is modest, there's no standard that says what color it has to be. And so therefore, I've got a conviction against wearing white, so I repent to you today. Because it don't take any imagination at all to wear white. Watch what people wear when they don't know how to put colors together. Brother, hey, 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 good job. I spent half my year for seven straight years wearing a white uniform. If you want to blend in with the crowd, you don't wear dress whites. And it's still my favorite uniform. High collar, shoulder boards. 
cap, the whole thing. Got one in my closet. And since I'm medically retired, I still have a right to wear it. Haven't worn it in a while. Doesn't fit, but. (laughs) 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 They only make them so big. (laughs) I'd have to lose a little bit to get it back on. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you in God? Are you a carpenter? 30 years, essentially. Everybody saw him as just a carpenter. But for those 30 years, he never saw himself as a carpenter. 30 years, 30 years, he was just a carpenter in Nazareth. I don't know how old he was when Joseph died. Joseph was considerably older than Mary. We know he was still alive when Jesus was 12. Somewhere in that 18 years, Joseph died. Jesus became the breadwinner. He took over the carpenter shop. He had a hard time during his ministry preaching in Nazareth because they never saw anything but the carpenter. Are you a carpenter? Are you a son of God? Which are you? Are you a carpenter? Are you a son of God? It's just as wrong to make yourself out to be something in God you're not as it is to make yourself out to be nothing when you are. Some people confuse the difference between having a gift of prophecy with being called to the office of a prophet. We don't have near as many prophets as claimed to be. We have some men with gift of prophecies that their own insecurities have made them into being something they're not. And while I understand all that way that works inside, the bottom line is when you're proclaiming yourself to be something you're not, you're going to have to perform. Are you a carpenter? I tell you what I believe. I believe with all my heart that Romans chapter, I was going to read it, but I don't really have the time for it. Romans chapter 8 tells us that they that are led of the Spirit are the sons of God. In fact, the Greek is very literally, for they that are led by the Spirit of God, they only are the sons of God. They that are led by the Spirit, they only are the sons of God. That's the literal Greek. And let's go to the next verse, since you got it up there. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Hebrew, Father, Greek. Next verse. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What's the result of that? Next verse. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Next verse. For I reckon, and the word reckon there is not, well, I reckon it's going to rain today. 
The word reckon there in the Greek means it, this is a result of careful evaluation of the facts and calculation of the circumstances. And you've come to a very reasonable and solid conclusion. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, whatever you're going through right now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And the word glory there in the Greek is doxa, which is the self-manifestation, the self-revelation of God. So he says, I can't allow what I'm going through right now to keep when the time comes to keep God from revealing himself through me and manifesting himself through me. I can't, I can't let my circumstances define to me who I am. I have to let Jesus tell me who I am so that when it's time for him to manifest himself, I won't say no. Next verse. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. God was manifest in the flesh. You hear me right now. Just like there was a day when the Spirit of the of the Father spoke to the Son. Said, pack it all up. You're done. Packed all that equipment up. Walked out that carpenter shop door for the last time. Closed it and bolted it. And walked from that carpenter shop to the Jordan River. And was baptized. And the Spirit of the Lord came down on him like a dove. And the, 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 the one cried, the voice cried in the wilderness says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Everything changed that day. The Son of God was manifested to the world. He'd been in the world. The world was made by Him. The world didn't know who He was. He came to His own. His own didn't receive Him. He was just a carpenter. But there was a day. There was a time. You hear me? I believe this with every fiber of my being. The apostolic church is in a carpenter shop for the same reason the Son of God was in a carpenter shop. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. And we're supposed to be suffering. And it's supposed to be tough. And we're supposed to be learning to trust God. We're supposed to be learning to go through it and not get bitter. We're supposed to be going through all of that. We're supposed to be learning. We're supposed to be learning how to have a right attitude. We're supposed to be learning to obey God when it hurts. It's supposed to, we're supposed to be willing to obey God when it looks impossible and it's going to make you look foolish in front of everybody. We're supposed to be learning that while we go through this because there's coming a day when the sons of God are going to be manifested. God's going to pull the cover back. He's going to pull the curtain back. And, and the the church is suddenly going to be known to this world. I believe that. And that day is not the rapture. That is pre-rapture. Sit in your city. Pastor your people. 
whether it's 550, 150, 500, whatever it is, pastor your people. Be faithful. Suffer. Be obedient. Learn to do the things of God and the will of God. Because the day is coming. The signal's going to be given. You're going to close the carpenter shop door for the last time. He's going to pull the cover off in your city. He's going to pull the cover off in your city. And you go, and the whole world's going to know who you are. He prophesied it. And I know people say, well, all the prophecies have come to pass. This one hasn't. Ye shall be hated of all men for his name's sake. People can't hate what they don't know doesn't even exist. But God is going to do something through his revealed sons, his manifested sons in the last days that's going to cause every person in this world to make a decision, yay or nay. They're going to make a decision. They're going to make a decision. What's about to come on this earth is beyond description. It's beyond imagination. It is very easily easy to prove that at least one out of every two human beings in the entire earth is going to die within that seven year period. Die. Three and a half billion corpses. And you think a merciful God is going to pour out His wrath and this world never know the apostolic church any different than what it looks like today? Are you a carpenter or a son of God? And he had to come to that faith and that conclusion before he ever left the carpenter shop. He had to believe, just like last night with the stick, you got to believe that you're a son of God, that he can do anything he wants to through, and that you're willing to let him before you ever leave that carpenter shop. Because it's too late to come to that understanding and learn about that once the cover's been pulled off. Here it is. I'll close with this. You can stand. Romans 8, 28 through 31. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, not to them who are called, the called. That's a who. That's a what? To them who are the called. This is identifying who you are. To them who are the called according to His purpose. This verse is not a blanket verse. It does not apply to everybody. It is a conditional verse. Only those who love God and know that they are the called according to His purpose can honestly say all things work together for good. But it doesn't stop there. What's that about? For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. To do what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. Just for a moment here. Stay right there. 
Scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, it says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness of the day of judgment. Because as not will be, as he is, so are we in this world. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe the Bible says what it means, means what it says? As He is, so are we in this world. What's the foundation for that knowledge? You know, the Greek word there means experientially, you know and believe, you trust the love God has for you. We love Him because He first loved us. We love Him Because He first loved us. That's the foundation for knowing and believing the love He has for us. And that enables us to then know as He is. As He is. So are we in this world. So we go back to uh, Romans 8, 29. For whom He did foreknow, He did also, also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Why? That he might be the first born among many brethren. What does that mean? We're all supposed to be duplicates of him. Now. Here. Well why aren't we seeing more miracles? How many miracles do you do in the carpenter shop? The Catholics say he healed a broken bird's wing. During that period of time. The Bible doesn't say anything about any of that. There's no evidence he performed any miracle while he was working in the carpenter shop. I think he did a few after he got baptized. Do not judge yourself on what you see and feel circumstantially in your life right now. Jesus wants you to know who you are. You're a God-called child of God. That He is making, conforming into His image. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your thinking. Renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your thinking. So that you can prove and know what is that uh, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Lord wants your thinking to change about yourself. So you can be what He wants you to be in Him. But, but, but it's not happening. Let me tell you something. You're going to get the revelation and walk in the revelation by faith a significant period of time before it's ever manifested through you. Why? I've said this many times. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be used of God mightily. But it's a completely different thing altogether to be used mightily and then saved. The hardest thing God ever does is to save somebody after he's used them mightily. Why do you think so many of the apostles died violent deaths? It was the test at the end to see whether they thought he was somebody or they were. Because if they were impressed with what they did, they would be resentful of him Taking their lives so violently at the end. 
Moreover, this is verse 31. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? There's so much more to this subject. But I, I, right now I don't feel like I will come back specifically to this, this subject tomorrow. I may. I don't think so. But I, I'm asking you, just standing here right now. Just between you and Jesus and the secret heart of your hearts. Can you honestly say. That you're truly confident in and have peace with who you are in God right now. I'm not saying you you say you're ready to step out of a boat, walk on the water in the midst of a storm. I'm not saying that you're ready to look a look the managers of a witch in the face and cast the devil out of her I'm not, I'm not saying you're ready to do any of that but I'm saying are you ready to let God be God through you or is your image of yourself in conflict with who God says you are to the point that you're not going to let God do through you all that he wants to do It was November 74, Thanksgiving. And the guys that were doing the Deeper Life conferences brought one to Sunbury, Pennsylvania. And that was a few hours drive away. And I went up to that meeting. There were some things that happened that weren't on the agenda. I was asked to do a couple of things I I was totally surprised at. I didn't even know these guys even knew I was on the same planet. And I was feeling pretty good. Using bus ministry, we were, we'd started with the two of us and we were running in Sunday school. uh, 250, 300 people. And uh, that wasn't our church, but Sunday school. And uh, I was young. 20... I 28 at the time. I was feeling pretty good. I thought everybody was excited about what God was doing in Annapolis. I was so naive. I almost made it. The meeting was over. I was in the parking lot. I was about to get in the car. And I had about a four-hour drive home. I almost made it. I almost made it. But there was, there was a, several brethren from our district there. And this one brother, I didn't, I didn't know him really good, but he was a good guy. He didn't mean anything by this. <laughs> but he's standing in his car. His car's parked next to mine. And, and this is what he said. He said, Brother Wright, I, I really believe you're, you really are a man of God. He said, 
I don't care what anybody is saying about you and what's happening in Annapolis. I really do believe it's God. By the time I got home, whatever good had been done for me in that meeting was not just gone. It wasn't even a memory. There was no aroma of it left in the car. All I heard was, I don't care what they're saying about you and what's happening in Annapolis. I hadn't heard anything. I didn't know any they's were saying anything. I was shocked that people wouldn't be excited about what God was doing. I can just see how naive Joseph was. Hey, brothers, I had a dream. Yeah, yeah. That was my experience with telling a dream. Yeah, that was my experience right there. Because hear me right now. You're going to be tested. Your faith in who you are and God's going to be tested. And I'm going to tell you the first and foremost source of that test. It's going to be your brethren. And God's not only going to test your faith with their doubt of your place. He's going to test your faith by seeing whether or not you can love them and not have any unforgiveness toward them. Because they doubt your place. One more time here. Can we just pray? I'm not the least bit concern that we're not running this aisle this is not the kind of message for that the Lord's trying to do something here last night you take those first two messages last night put it in with this one and you'll see right now that God has a message for you come on let's pray just a minute just right where we are right where we are here I am Jesus I want to be who you want me to be. I want to go where you're sending me. I want you to let, I want to let you do through me anything and everything that you're wanting to do. I don't want to seek to please men. I don't want to seek to please my brethren. I don't want to seek the approval of others. I just want to be obedient to you, Jesus. You and you alone. There's some of you standing here right now. I promise you this minute. People have questioned what you're doing trying to build a church as old as you are. That's what they do, see. You're either too young or you're too old. It's I don't know what the right age is, but it's always too young or too old. Come on, man's going to try you. Man's going to question. Good people. Good people. God's people. People. Saved people. They're not bad people. They're saved people. But God's going to use your brethren. And then Joseph had to have enough faith and enough love for God, enough confidence in who he was at God to love his brethren and bless them when they were in need. Years ago, things were pretty rough. 
Brother Billy Cole walked up to me one day in a, in a conference. He said, I was praying the other day. The Lord told me this for you. He said, I know you feel rejected by everybody right now. But he said, you need to pray really hard. And make sure that you're, you forgive diligently. Because the same people you feel rejected by today are going to be coming for bread for you one day. And you're going to have to decide whether you're going to bless them or pay them back. He told me that 30 years ago. Who are you? Well, let's go just another moment here. The the Holy Ghost is really trying to talk to some of us. You see, the reason you know this is from God, because this is a promising fame. It's promising rejection. It's promising you're going to be misunderstood. It's promising you're going to be falsely accused. Because all of that is the testing to prove you to see if you will be obedient so that God will use you, can use you when the manifestation comes. Will He use you before then? Oh yeah. But everything God has done through us to this point, everything God has done through us to this point has only been training. All the good stuff God's done through each one of us to this point has only been for training purposes. Because when the manifestation comes, it's all going to change. There's people right now pastoring five that'll find themselves trying to take care of 5,000. There's people pastoring a hundred that are going to find themselves trying to take care of 50,000. You hear what I'm telling you? It's a truth before God. The manifestation of the sons of God is coming. The principle, God is a God of principles and patterns. And the principle is, He manifested the Son of God three years before the judgment of the Old Testament. And the judgment of the Old Testament was the cross. And the judgment of the Old Testament was the whatever was faith and truth and salvation up to the cross was no longer valid. And those people had to decide whether they were going to accept the new or stick with the old and be lost. And He is not going to pour out wrath on this earth and one out of every two human beings die that's left here after the rapture without doing something significant to give them an opportunity to know the truth. And you and I are it. And He's going to use sons of God manifested in the earth. Do you know who you are? Are you passing the training tests? Let's raise our hands and love Him a minute.